All right, good morning. Welcome to Byfield Parish Church. It is awesome to have all of you here with us on this uh, Labor Day weekend Sunday. I hope everybody has plans uh, just, to, just to enjoy a beautiful weekend. And thank you for enjoying part of that beautiful weekend here with us. My name is Brent Fugate. I am the senior pastor here at Byfield Parish. I do want to start with um, one uh, kind of one announcement that has a part A and a part B. So next week we do return to our normal kind of school year service time. Uh, so that will be at 10.45 a.m. is when there will be worship. Sunday school will be at 9.30. So this is a change. So kids Sunday school, adult Sunday school will be at 9.30. There's been a little bit of, of kind of confusion with this change of when coffee hour is going to be. And so I want to I explain a little bit of the thinking behind this. We are very blessed here at Byfield to have very, just a lot of really wonderful young kids that really enjoy being a part of coffee hour. Uh, and they kind of descend like locusts on coffee hour, okay? And so their Sunday school is going to run until about 1030, um, as will the adult Sunday school class. There are, uh, there are folks that also come to coffee hour that don't come to Sunday school and coffee hour will start at 10.15 for those people. So the idea behind that is that those folks that, that aren't coming to adult Sunday school already that enjoy being able to see people from the church can have about 15 minutes of a little bit of chill coffee hour before the locusts descend, okay? And so that's the idea. We're going to try this out. It may not work. It may be terrible. Uh, I don't think it'll be terrible, but it may not work. If it doesn't work, we can always, we can always change uh, things in that regard. There are many other announcements, uh, Bible studies getting started up, various youth uh, and other adult programming getting started up. So I encourage you guys to check that out. And there's only so much information that can ever fit in the bulletin. And so check out the website, check out the church calendar. The Friday email is also able to contain a lot more information that can be printed in the church bulletin. Also today, this Sunday, we've done variations of this over the past several years. We do have a, a special service of testimony and praise today um, that I'm really excited about. So it's, it's a little bit of a non-traditional service in that regard. And to start that service off, I'm going to ask Jenny uh, Holland to come, Jenny Dale Holland to come up and go ahead and start our service off. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Thank you all for being here today. Um, I'm going to start by, um, if you have a Bible in your pew or with you, um, turn to Second Chronicles 7.14. Um, that's page 338 in the Pew Bibles, um, and in this verse it says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Today's service is... Um, an exploration of that verse um, with each um, each um, calling by the Lord um, explored in each testimony. Humble yourself, pray, seek thy face, turn from your wicked ways. This verse is God speaking specifically to his people who are called by his name, Christians, to humble themselves, pray, seek his face, and turn from their wicked ways turn from our wicked ways and it's a promise that if we do this he will hear our prayers and he will heal our land and I don't think I need to say it that we need healing in our land so I um, encourage you to take this service as an opportunity to quiet your hearts um, and and, and um, see how this could apply to your own life today um, and with that, um, we're going to start with hymn number 574, If My People's Hearts Are Humbled. Mm -hmm. 
There's going to be a bit more up and down today than there would be in a typical service. Uh, one thing, just to, just to be clear, we're not going to have Children's Church today. I think this is a good opportunity for the children of this church included to hear how faith plays out in the lives of the individuals of the that make up this church. We do have nursery. And so if, if at any point during the service, anybody in here has a nursery age child, age, age five and below, and they want to uh, take them to nursery, that's wonderful. And um, the next song would be a great opportunity to do that. Or if any point during the service, that would be good as well. So as Jenny said, today's service is built around this verse from Second Chronicles. And I'm going to be talking about, about humbleness. I'm going to be giving a testimony of humbleness. Now, Jenny and I uh, started talking about doing this service probably like two or three months ago. And I think you always have to, you have to be careful kind of what you ask for sometimes, what you pray for sometimes uh, as a Christian. Because as we were prepping this service... I wasn't originally planning on giving the testimony of humbleness, but over the past month or so, God has just given me an amazing opportunity to talk about humbleness in my own personal life. Humbleness isn't something that I really prefer to talk about in my own personal life, um, but that amazing opportunity is that many of you know I've been dealing with sickness and back pain over the past month or so. So rewinding a bit, about eight years ago, uh, when my youngest son, Ezra, was born, I went through a period of my life where I was having debilitating back pain. And there was like a, it, it had been an issue for a while, and there was this like six week, three month period where I would go to work, and I would come home every day from work, and basically all I could do was lay on the couch and hold this newborn baby, because that was what I was capable of. That was the only way. I could really help my family. And for those of you that have had any sort of physical issue like that before, you know how scary that can be to think, is this going to be the rest of my life? Is the rest of my life going to be this? And so I did a variety of things to try to deal with that back pain. And one of the things that ended up being effective was physical therapy. So over the years since, I haven't really had any, any back pain or significant back pain, back issues. And I would say probably like six weeks ago, I was, I was probably feeling as good physically as I'd ever felt. And I think over those years of kind of having this issue and then recovering from this issue, I think I had, I had grown like, some would say confident, some would say maybe borderline arrogant about my ability to manage my own physical well-being. And it's not really clear to me what happened a, a month ago or so. There's a variety of possible explanations. But over the past month, I, I really have seen that physical ability taken away from me. And I, I raise this point just to say that when we don't recognize that the good things we have are a result of God's mercy, a result of God's grace. When we look at ourselves and we say, I have this thing, whether it be our, our physical health or whether it's how we're doing financially or how our family's doing or how our church is doing. When we look at ourselves and we say, look at what I have done. Look at how great I am. When we show a lack of humbleness, we can expect ourselves to be humbled at some point. And I think that's what I've experienced in the past month. But the solution to humbleness, the showing humbleness, it doesn't mean that we look at ourselves and we say, woe is me. Woe is me. I am, I am awful. I am terrible. I am bad. I am inferior. What it means is that we look at the good things we have in our lives and we recognize that those good things are a result of God's blessing in our lives. That they're because of who we are, but they are a result of what God has given us. 
And so as we think as a church, as individuals, as a nation, about what it means for us to humble ourselves, it doesn't, it doesn't mean throwing ourselves down in the dirt and saying, we're the worst, we're terrible, we're awful. It means looking to God and thanking him for the blessings he has given us means recognizing that the good things we have have been given to us from God our Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray for humbleness right now. As I do so, we're actually praying a lot in this service, but there's no purely pastoral prayer. So I am going to pray for a couple of things that we definitely want to pray for as a community that are not directly related to humbleness. Uh, one of those things is Sam Gillingham, who's been dealing with a lot of illness. And so we're going to pray for Sam's continued recovery. And then also a woman named Peg Knowlton, who is a part of this church for many, many years, uh, passed away recently. Her funeral is this coming Wednesday. Um, and so we're also just going to pray for Peg's family. Please join me in prayer. Dear Lord, it is so easy for us to look at ourselves and to want to take credit for the good things we have in our lives, to want to take credit for our finances, to want to take credit for our physical well-being, to want to take credit for our families, to want to take credit for some sort of spiritual maturity we see in ourselves. Your word, your scripture, the particular verse that this service is built around today encourages us to humble ourselves, to realize that apart from you, we are nothing, that we have no ability to sustain ourselves, that every good thing we have is from you, Lord. I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would do that as individuals, that whatever area of pride that we have in our lives, Lord, that we would recognize that we have no basis for pride in ourselves. Dear Lord, I pray as a church that we would be humble. We exist in a world where our capabilities are limited. Whatever good happens is, is not something that we can bring about, Lord. We are reliant on you. The good we can bring about is so minimal and it is so temporary. I pray that we would be humble as a church and I pray for our nation, Lord. I pray that as a nation, we would be humble. That we would recognize that we are tremendously, tremendously blessed. That there's never been a better time or a better place to be alive, Lord. But that we would recognize that in that, that while many people have sacrificed for us to be able to enjoy the privileges we have, that all of the blessings we enjoy are ultimately from you. Lastly, Lord, I would pray for those that are struggling today. I would pray particularly for the family of Peg Knowlton as they grieve her loss after a long and fruitful life, Lord. I would also pray for Sam Gillingham as he continues to recover from a bowel obstruction that's required surgery, Lord. I just pray that his health would continue to improve, that his strength would continue to build. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
humble herself before Jesus, um, and he um, healed her of her illness um, that she struggled with. Um, she, she put herself in a, a position where she could have been physically, um, perhaps, hurt or killed um, by just reaching out and touching um, the garment of Jesus. Um, so I, I wanted to um, start this song by sort of like putting us in that that place of humbleness um, that she came to Jesus with. So, um, and if you're able, you can stand where you are on the and sing along, or if you feel led, you can kneel and humble yourself in any way you want to. Um,
All right. Um, I now want to invite up Bill and Eileen Richards. Bill and Eileen are going to give a testimony of how God has worked in their lives through prayer. So go ahead. Come on up. My name is Eileen Richards, and um, we wanted to, and this is my husband, Bill, and we wanted to tell you how God has worked in our lives, one of the ways he's worked. He's worked many ways. Um, we have a, a son named Scott, our firstborn. He was, um, he's 44 now. Uh, about 10 or 12 years ago, he started having trouble with what we realized was mental illness, and he was um, not in a good way. He was really having trouble. And um, he, um, he um, couldn't keep his job. He, you know, he, he was just having trouble. And um, he was using drugs, and he was drinking. And um, it was really getting to be a hard, hard um, situation for us, and we didn't seem to be able to help him, and I'll let Billy tell you the rest. Okay, he was using the drugs and the alcohol we learned later to, um, to uh, medicate or, or to self-medicate uh, the, the illness that uh, came on, and, and he, uh, quite frankly, if you were to ask him, he would tell you there was nothing wrong with him. However, uh, he spent... Uh, there was a period um, of uh, probably five or six years where at one points he was homeless, points he would just disappear for months at a time and we had no idea where he was and we would file missing persons reports or complaints and they'd try to find him and one time they found him in, down in uh, Georgia, we walked down there. <laughs> one time they found him in California and uh, uh, in a jail where he was arrested for being in a political rally, I don't know. But he, he, he was hallucinating, he was having uh, paranoia, he felt that people were following him and uh, he was seeing things. Uh, I won't go into details because we're supposed to take only three minutes, but uh, <laughs> needless to say, you know, when he did return, we tried to get him help and uh, we were able to get him into hospitals uh, five times. And he'd go in, he'd stay for a month, they'd treat him with, uh, uh, with the medications available at the time. He would come around and we'd see the old Scott that we always knew. And uh, he'd come out, get a job, everything seemed to be fine, and then he'd decide he was okay and he would just stop taking the medication. Of course, um, the mental illness didn't go away, it was just being held at bay and he would start to spiral down again. And uh, I'd grab him and say, Scott, it's happening again. You need to go back to the hospital. And we'd have this argument and da da da, and uh, finally get him back in five times. The last time, someone had told him in the hospital that he's an adult and he doesn't have to go into the hospital if he doesn't want to. So when he came out, he was fine. He got a job, you know, started taking part in the life, his life and his children's life. And then, uh, he decided he was okay and he stopped taking the drugs. Well, all this time, Eileen and I were praying for him, his healing. And uh, I, at, after that fifth time and trying to get him back in the hospital where he refused because he would tell me there's nothing wrong with me. I, these things are as real to me as you are, as I am to him. And um, he, uh, <clears throat> so I decided to, take matters into my own hands and I can identify with Brent. I, I am definitely um, a problem solver. <laughs> I'm an attorney and I, I like to solve problems. And uh, so um, I went to the courts. I tried to get the courts involved. And of course he's an adult and if he doesn't want to be involved, he doesn't have to be involved unless he commits a crime. I went to the social services. I went to the mental health department. I went to the court clinicians. I talked to lawyers that I knew. I talked to judges I knew. We got nowhere, and uh, he was disappearing, living homeless. We, I found him once 
in the middle of the winter in a cave in the woods down the street from our house. Two feet of snow, t-shirt, cotton pants, sneakers. And uh, we were afraid for his life and uh, his the behavior was so bizarre when he was at home, we were afraid for ours too. So one day um, at that time, I was my job was in Connecticut. I was a vice president of a small company there that made medical devices and uh, sensors for medical devices. And I was a partner and it was a dream job. You know, it's a job that my whole career had pointed me to and, and made me perfect for. <laughs> and um, I uh, couldn't help him and the police were getting involved and we were away all week and they would be phone calls back and forth and I found him. I was sitting in my office staring at the walls unable to unable to um, to function and I realized that uh, I needed to leave this job and um, go home and, and try to help him. So I um, retired early and uh, cashed out and went home. We went home and um, of course, nothing had changed. I still couldn't help him, and the despair just grew hopelessness. I have never felt such despair in my life. And one day I fell down on my knees and my face in the living room and uh, prayed to God. And I said, God, I've come to the point where I realize there's nothing I can do about this situation. We need your help. And uh, I turn it over to you, all to you. Uh, I can't do anything. And uh, after that, I got up and, you know, I did feel better, but I mean, just. The amazing thing was, a couple days later, I found myself um, in a courtroom in front of a judge with Scott standing next to me, explaining what the situation was. And uh, the judge um, was familiar with this sort of thing, and uh, she, I won't go into a lot of the details of how we got there, but um, she um, sent him to Bridgewater State Hospital for evaluation. Then they sent him to Tewksbury Hospital, where he stayed for three years for long-term treatment. After that three years, he was released to a, a group home, and uh, I was appointed as guardian, and uh, which I had been trying to do for five years <laughs> and couldn't do. And uh, um, anyways, uh, the message, the, the, what I come away with is, you know, God was definitely involved in this. I mean, uh, what I came away with, with on this is, um, what Brent had said. I was very, very proudful. I was proud of my job. I was proud of my position. I was proud of my education. I was proud of the, when the grandkids told me, give it to Papa, he can fix anything, right? And uh, um, God put a situation in our lives and that uh, I know it, it would have happened anyways, but uh, I grew from that and we grew from that and we learned that uh, the solution is prayer. And uh, when we finally gave it over to God and went to God in prayer, that's when the, the um, good things started happening. So uh, I, I'd like to, uh, that's the end of our testimony, and I'd like to just uh, end in prayer. And uh, I'm going to have to read one I wrote because they asked us to pray about prayer. So that's what we're going to do. All right, if you pray with me. Lord, we bow our heads and our hearts before you and give you honor and praise, O oh God. Strengthen our prayer life. Help us to pray more. Nudge us to pray when we are doing mindless tasks. Help us to truly know who we are in Christ, to understand that you always hear us, to know your word so that we can pray it, to write down our own prayer needs and the needs of others, and to know that you really do know us. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.
right, I want to invite Tom Kingston up to now give a testimony of seeking the Lord's face. Good morning, beloved of God. Um, especially in lieu of Brent's testimony, Bill and Eileen's testimony, uh, truly, you don't want to hear me give testimony, but I am here to testify about seeking the Lord. And the best way that I can do this would be to start by reading you a passage. Uh, the passage is Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 25, if you would like to follow along. I'm reading in the Old Pew Bible, the NIV, and the reason is because I like that verse. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day of God approaching. What a challenge it is to address people and to offer some sort of testimony about seeking God. And I can truly say on my own power, I have nothing to say. There is nothing that I can tell you to do or to pursue other than what this verse has just said. In other words, it's not me who says it. God's already said it. If we trust God and we trust his word, then we have the opportunity to do what I think this is suggesting. Now my testimony, what I testify about, is that God has done a remarkable thing for me. Not that I have done anything, but he has gathered people around me. People who are serious about God's word. People who desire to hear from God. People who desire to, when they do hear from God, to live it out in their own lives. He has given me Bible studies throughout the week. He is opening God's word to all of us that we might hear from him. What a conundrum it is to say, seek God. How do you seek God? How do you find God? Humble yourself? I understand that. Pray? I understand that. Turn from your wicked ways? I understand that. But seek the Lord in a very real way. How do you seek the Lord? Where do I find Him? I've found God on His pages. I've found God in His people. I've experienced things lately that are only explainable by God. Now, allow me, after having read that verse, to read it again, only this time with a different emphasis. To show you what I think is the key to the very thing that I'm testifying about. Again, Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter, sorry, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he, prom he who promised is faithful, and let us Consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us 
Encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. My testifying is about how God has gathered us. And the good news is he's knit us all together. My testimony is I see God in the faces of God's people. I don't have to draw near when God gathers people to me to experience him and know him and, and, to, and to see him. And so that's my testimony. One last verse I will leave with you. One that's always been encouraging to me. This is Malachi 3.16. Should be easy to remember. You all know John 3.16. Malachi 3.16. Then those who feared the Lord talked with one another. And the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. The gift that God has given us is us. Let's gather together. Talk with one another. Please God. And maybe we too can all experience Seeking God. Thank you.
All right, we are, for our fourth movement today, going to take communion together. So there is no, there's no testimony for this movement. Instead, I would like to encourage each of you and us corporately together to think about how we need to repent. This is always an aspect of communion. Let me say before I get into that, that if you are a parent of a young child here with us today, they are welcome to participate in communion if you believe they have a childlike faith and understand what communion represents. One of the things that we focus on as part of communion is the necessity of repentance in each of our individual lives. I was reminded recently in a Bible study that we should live lives of repentance, but that communion is a special opportunity. It's a unique opportunity that reminds us of our need of repentance. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul reminds us why communion is important in the spirit in which we should take it. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread when he was and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of, of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. In taking communion, we remember Christ and proclaim his death. With this in mind, we are told to not take communion with unrepentant sin in our hearts and minds. Let's take a moment of quiet reflection to repent of the sins we have done and also of what we have left undone. Dear Lord, communion is a symbol of the grace that you have shown us through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That grace is ever present. It is always available to us. And part of accepting that grace is turning from our wicked ways, turning from our sins. So I pray that for anyone in this room today, for us as a community, for whatever sins exist within us and, and within this community, Lord, that we would turn from those sins, that we would repent, that we would turn to your grace and mercy that Jesus Christ made available to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's now.